them. And then it's a year later, I was smashing the hurdle heights by not like a couple of centimetres, like 10 centimetres, oh, 12 wow. centimetres. The interesting one for me was four max height hurdles. So that's obviously the highest force demands in that because I'm falling the highest each time and I have to preserve that the most. I beat that one by, I think, I want to say like 15 centimetres. So my ability to utilise that force upon landing to, yeah, rebound back out was so much higher. That was Chris Scott, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Lost Empire Herbs, and I want to share with you how to get a free bag of pine pollen through Lost Empire here today. Quickly first, I used to think herbs was just jinkle biloba you got at the drugstore, but after being introduced to compounds such as the Phoenix Formula through Lost Empire, I've been a regular consumer uh, of Lost Empire herbs for over four years now. The Phoenix Formula instantly changed my viewpoint on herbalism. I was literally buzzing with energy after my first dose. Within two weeks, I was noticing strength improvements in the weight room, and it's been fun expanding uh, my herbalism regime to different things throughout the Lost Empire Herb store. Uh, in Phoenix Formula in particular, along with Shiliagit, which is a very popular herb for strength and performance, you also have pine pollen, which is a superfood. It offers a variety of energy, health, and performance benefits. And you can grab that free bag of pine pollen with the modest cost of shipping by heading to justflypinepollen.com. If you want to check out other herbs that I enjoy through Lost Empire, you can head to lostempireherbs slash justfly and grab 15% off your order. I can't recommend Lost Empire enough, and I really enjoy the fact that I've been able to partner with them through this podcast for as long as I have. So be sure to check that out. Let's get on to the rest of the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's awesome to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm excited to welcome to the show today, strength and parkour coach, Chris Scott. Chris has a degree in sports therapy. He works at Jump Gym in the United Kingdom and he's an accomplished athlete in the parkour realm. He also has high acrobatics ability, high levels of bodyweight strength, and recently Chris made waves in social media doing training phases featuring very high depth drops. And uh, parkour as a sport is one that highlights human adaptability, and it also kind of breaks the rules of more typical training in terms of athletes jumping off of very high things and landing repeatedly. It, the sport of parkour helps us to ask the question, how we as humans can adapt to things that you wouldn't ordinarily see in typical training. And so on the show, we'll unpack a little bit about Chris's recent training experience using a series of higher drops, uh, working up to eight feet and doing drops and rebounds off of that, and how it impacted his reactivity, the rest of his training, as well as uh, strength levels. Just a quick disclaimer as well, of course, the point of this show is not to march your athletes up to eight foot boxes and start dropping off of them. Chris is a highly trained parkour and reactive athlete, the only other athlete I've seen doing anything in the realm of uh, eight-foot box height and dropping or depth jumping uh, was an Olympic-level high jumper. So obviously use common sense, use progression, understand what you're training for and what the needs of your athletes are. I'm sure you already knew all that, but with the topic of the show, it definitely has something I want to say. So this is just to give us more understanding about the limits of human ability in this realm and what type of adaptations can come from this type of work with a highly trained athlete who is physically ready for this type of work. So 
On the podcast today, Chris will be talking again about the results of that high drop training. Uh, We'll also go into single versus double leg drop iteration, single and double leg plyometric ideas. I will be talking about plyometric variability, so parkour being a very variable and very plyometric in nature sport. So how can we apply those principles into more traditional plyometrics we'll be discussing. Uh, Finally, we'll be talking about impulse training, seasonal aspects of plyometric type work, and more. I really enjoyed talking to Chris, getting his uh, frame of mind and his perspective on parkour and plyometric training. And I know you guys will enjoy this show. So let's get here to episode 374 with Chris Scott. Chris, great to have you on the show, man. Could you get started by just telling us a little bit of your athletic uh, background? So what, what I know parkour, obviously, uh, but what led you to where you are now uh, from an athletic perspective? Yeah, so my training background is purely the, the origins is in parkour, seeing as a kid, wanting to do it, starting it, and then ultimately into the gym to try and increase performance. Um, but then, yeah, long and short of it, it's like the parkour has end up, ended up influencing my gym training just as much as the other way around. And I look to get the best of both worlds, really, in my training. Um, and that's kind of all, all stems from starting out in parkour, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. You know, with parkour, I remember when I first saw it, to me, a lot of it, it, I just viewed it as people, you know, just jumping around in, you know, the streets or buildings or whatever. And I didn't, I don't think I really tagged it to outputs until I started talking to Rafe Kelly. And he, one of the things he had talked about was parkour athletes who, uh, the high level ones who are very good jumpers, who didn't have that hard of a time making a switch to, let's say, triple jump or long jump in track and field. And it's like, all right, well, now you're talking my language, you know, and then going to return the source myself and going through Basically, triple jump in nature is the best way I can describe it. And just feeling just how powerful I felt and using my body in that way. And I, I think the common description is, oh, it's it's chaos. You need to respond to chaos, which, okay, well, what does that mean? It, to me, it actually means giving your body just the amount of variability and problem solving that actually can raise up the level of training and make it even better. And I'm like, all right, now you're really talking my language because we're talking outputs here. And I know... um you know, with the parkour, I know you're really well known um, in the Instagram space for doing very high depth drops. And I think that's a good talking point for, well, how does this transfer? Uh, what are some transference pieces from uh, parkour, jumps, drops into muscle outputs, um, being able to jump high or squat a lot of weight or things that we would say, okay, we, we want to put a number on this. <laughs> we want to put this in the way we can frame it. So, uh, I'd be uh, curious to hear a little bit about uh, maybe your more recent explorations in the world of drops, dropping off of very high objects and, and you know, see they're sticking the landing or doing depth drops, and then what you learned from that and how you saw those outputs going over into other spaces in training. Yeah, so the drops were a very new thing, and it was for a period of time. It, w- it was an experiment. Um, in my mind, those drops aren't that high because in parkour, like I, I've dropped from that height many times, but typically in parkour, we're looking to minimize the impact on our body. Um, so I was looking for ways to stress my body in, in uh, ways that I hadn't tapped into before. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know I can drop off that height, but I've never tried to perform these drops in um, a traditional manner or like an altitude drop manner where you're landing stiff or a depth drop manner where we're rebounding out. Typically from that kind of height, 
I'm purposefully trying to minimize impact rather than take advantage of it. Um, so I started, I was doing a range of drops. I, I uh, numerous ones that I got from your website, actually, on your plyometrics of the week or whatever, that section is kind of, yeah, I was rotating through variations and kind of just exposing myself to these uh, landings from, from varying heights, uh, single leg, split landings, higher two-footed landings, um, and kind of, yeah, started going higher and higher. Um, not all of them were high. Like, I I'm terrible at the single leg ones, which was interesting. Um, really struggled with them. Uh, but, yeah, I just kept uh, stressing the body. I, I think I did it for twice a week for six weeks. Um, and so how long I went for. Um, ultimately, was dropping off 254 centimetres and rebounding out of it. That's like a little over eight, eight feet for our American bulk. <laughs> 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 No, or a hundred. I think it's exactly a hundred inches, um, and yeah, obviously it wasn't a super quick rebound. It's just a long way down. But interestingly, it felt better to rebound out of than to stick. Um, yeah, it almost felt less impact to do the depth jump versus just the altitude landing. Um, and yeah, that was a real interesting phenomenon. Like it's almost like I had to to stick it at the brace for impact and kind of eat it. But when I would drop and try and rebound, far more casual, um, mm. which was very, very interesting to me. But yeah, so I did that for a period of time. Yeah, people were saying it was stupid. All the all the Russians found you can't go over one and a half meters, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I don't even perceive this as high because of my parkour background. It's It's not easy, and there is a limit, of course. But I've seen people do higher. I've jumped off higher and can i know i can handle the forces and i was very much going by feel and kind of yeah not to push it too far or like and i didn't get any negative output like there was no niggles that started to arise or anything um so i, I did that for that period of time and then um <laughs> essentially every single jump variation that i do whether that's within parkour um or in the gym training for parkour was increased so i have like hurdle variations that i routinely do but i hadn't been doing them since last summer so like my power wasn't or like i, I uh, shifted my goals to try and hit a, a strength goal of three times bodyweight deadlift for a period of time and i wasn't doing any jumping so that that was off the back of that so i did have a good or or, or newfound strength levels before running this experiment as well which perhaps helped um but I revisited all my old hurdles. So it might be like a four hurdle, like crescendo, or it might be a one low, one high, one low, one high, mm. or it might be four max height hurdles. So uh, yeah, all different combinations like that. And straight away without doing them since last summer or, or last year. Uh, so my mo those numbers, the records on the hurdles were like, second or third time through setting records as well so i wasn't holding back before it was me aiming to beat them and then just a year later i was smashing the hurdle heights by not like a couple of centimeters like 10 centimeters oh, wow. 12 centimeters um the interesting one for me was four max height hurdles so that's obviously the highest force demands in that because i'm falling the highest each time and i have to preserve that the most i beat that one by I think I want to say like 15 centimeters. 
So my ability to utilize that force upon landing to, yeah, rebound back out was so much higher. But then also static jumps. So um, in parkour, standing precision is like a horizontal broad jump uh, between two walls. That I can't, uh, yeah, I, I increase that by numerous inches. Um, and that opens up a whole world of opportunities in parkour that weren't there before. Because I can jump to an 11 or 12 out of 10 jump, and we, we call it a bounce off. So we'll, we'll jump and we know we can't make it, but we can bounce off safely and rebound to our feet. Um, yeah, and jumps that are 11 or 12 out of 10 before, I can now do. And there was no other jumping in that period of time. It was the drops. And I did the drops and then just unlocked uh, a bunch of new challenges, things that I, I couldn't do. And that's the thing with parkour, the walls don't move. I, I ran my city, I know all different challenges, some easy, some hard, some that I've never done, some that I hope to be able to do. And I kind of know where they are and know, know the dimensions and kind of what's within my limit and what's not in my limit. So to do just drops, I'm not even jumping, uh, and to open up a whole realm of options. In the city, I've been training for like 15 years. <laughs> and it's uh, it's not coincidence. It's not a good day or a bad day or something like that. It's I know the ins and outs. And it really opened up a hell of a lot of possibilities for me just from doing these altitude drops. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about, uh, well, obviously you're a well-trained uh, parkour athlete. So this is you know, obviously people listening don't have your athletes just go right to eight foot boxes. Not a good idea, okay. but you, you uh, have trained your way to do this. And, you know, I, I was thinking about what you were saying with, well, a few things, but uh, before I ask you some other questions, I did want to ask a little bit more about like volumes, um, like how often per week were you doing this kind of thing? What did the total volume tend to look like? And then how many uh, were drops where you just stuck it or kind of stuck it, you know, versus I guess stopping on a dime is probably not going to be able to really happen at eight feet of a height um, in the sense of like. Yeah, it did. Uh, so all, all of all of my variations, I, I wasn't doing the depth jump, but uh, I was purely, I was just doing the drop. Because like I say, I wanted to, I've essentially avoided that my whole training career because of the influence of parkour saying so we want to look after our body. We don't want to take unnecessary impact. Any drop that I would have taken before would have been focused on minimizing impact. So I was deliberately purely doing the drops. I wasn't doing the depth jump at all. Um, and then I would say, I can't remember exactly, but I, I kind of used a pretty, I, I somewhat went by feel, but I, I had like a, a number of reps in my mind that would have been about like overkill. And I, I was staying below that, but sometimes I did a little bit more. Um, but it was a, generally a pretty level amount of volume and so yeah two-footed one from uh lots of from a high high uh heights and then the next week if i went single leg there's some regulation in there simply by changing the movement then the week after i might have been doing so i was doing um the band accelerated so you're basically catapulting yourself out the floor from a box um yeah. and yeah like uh, uh, you'd know the name probably where you're kind of knee up in a march position, marching position, and you pick the other leg up and then snap down oh, yeah, yeah. from that position. Um, 
kind of that I really was just exposing myself to all these different positions and seeing how land how stiff I could land. Um, not all of them were high. Few few were high. It's almost like I'd go four weeks and then throw in a high one. How did it feel? And then when I say not all of them were high, not, not all of them were um, two hundred fifty four centimeters. They were all. Oh, a lot of them were like shoulder head height. Got it. Um, which is still pretty high for regular people. Um, or what what people's perceptions are. Yeah, yeah, Inter- it's interesting. Yeah, the the one where your leg starts up in the air, kind of like the Karate Kid, <laughs> and then you bring the legs yeah, together. Yeah. That's uh, altitude drop legs was the t- uh, term Jay Schrader had given to that. And yeah, I, you know, it's interesting with you even mentioned the drops being a little bit harder at that high a height. I know for me, I in the last few years. I started to really bring back the drops in more, uh, not off eight feet, I, I, more so off of uh, like for the average athlete, it would be somewhere between um, 45 centimeters and maybe 70 centimeters. So 18 to 30 inches, somewhere yeah. in there. And I started doing that a lot more after hearing how Jeremiah Flood had mentioned a warm up that he used that I think he got from Jay Schrader was basically do ISO holds and then a bunch of those altitude drop legs. And that was his war- the warm-up. That was the juice warm-up. <laughs> and you could yeah. do that. And then, like, I remember the first time I did that warm-up in the gym, like, every athlete basically either PR'd or came really close to their PR on the 20-meter dash. And if they didn't PR, they were at least able to get very close to their best multiple times in a row without drop-off. And I was like, wow, there is something to this. And um, the thing that's cool about the drop, too, is that it's so, it's it's interesting because, like, parkour is such a skill and task oriented thing but a drop is you're really minimizing a lot of you know there's there's not a lot of skill per se to dropping off something it's uh, the skill is the muscle firing up and learning to to deal with the muscle tendon bone foot interaction on a smaller minute level and i used to think someone had said this was a long time ago. I think there was research on this. I'd be curious to go into that research study, but it was something yeah. like if you do too many drops, like if you're training athletes and they did no depth jumps where you drop down and jump back up from the box or hurdle hops where you're hopping over. But if you do all drops, then your jump starts to get segmented. Like you would go to jump and you spend too long in the isometric phase, which on the surface makes sense. But then as I've gone through all this, I mean, in doing like a bunch of altitude drop legs, I'm not seeing it. But I think I think if yeah. you dropped and you did like a snap down where you like snap your arms back and stuck it every time, I could see that possibly doing it. Because there you're kind of like the altitude drop leg, you don't, you're not really like swinging your arms back like a jump. It's almost like your job there is just to hit the ground with maximal tensioning. And that's it. And it's in like a, a um, and there's very little give. Where I could see like dropping down, more give, like kind of letting your arms go back, freezing a position. I could see that possibly getting in the way. So I'm just curious just, if you have anything with that. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't. I guess it. I feel like that would probably just depend on the the skill of the jumper or the the athlete in the first place. Because I can't imagine really anything interfering with my jump technique at this point. Yeah. Um, like yeah that's true. it may not make the me place, yeah. may, may not make me jump further or it could i i, I might be fatigued and therefore jump less or, or something but the technique itself is so ingrained i, I can jump yeah and pretty much maximally and land on a rail 
Um, I, I trust what my technique is, I, like very, to a very high level. Like I can do jumps at height where the, the, the risk of falling if I were to overshoot or undershoot is highly consequential. Yeah. Like I, I'm not worried about any anything that I do in the gym in any way, really changing that technique, but I have the years of the training in that regard behind me. So potentially someone with less maybe it is more influenced like influenced by things. But yeah, it's hard to imagine any particular any one thing in the gym really messing up technique side of things. Yeah. I know for me, I will say um, I'm someone who's a little more internally rotated through my femurs, and I've found that doing too many bilateral, like hurdle hops, high hurdle hops, even squatting, because I'm more internally rotated to start, and that's where a little bit of my bias is, yeah. um, I've found that I do shift my power profile a little bit in favor of longer ground contacts when I do a lot of that stuff for me. Um, and then, but then if I go play like a lot of team sport, do a little bit less lifting, do more like single leg quick stuff, which honestly team sport is single leg quick stuff <laughs> of yeah. all magnitudes with the emotion of competition that does seem to iron it out or even longer sprinting, even just doing, you know, one fifties and two hundreds, which is basically a bunch of single leg plot, quick plyos. If you want to but look at it, it in that perspective. were to, uh, focus on, so, uh, like for me, in my sport parkour, there's a multitude of different ground contacts. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm not too concerned about having too many of one or too many of the other because I want to be able to do more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're really watching it out. Yeah. Um, but then, so I, I wonder if you saying that, you notice how, like if you were to cue yourself to, to stay diligently with the, I think you would be able to, keep the ground contacts at that speed that you want would you not like would you not think like you'd have the skill obviously like say it's, if it's just a volume thing in terms of yeah you, you at a certain point in a session it, it would become that yeah you're not getting what you want um but do you feel like you would be able to shift and change your technique like in that way like yeah. with, with focus applied to it yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I'll give you an interesting example of I, I just how, because I mean, the question is, right, like, how much of doing that kind of thing, like a high hurdle hop, I know, like, Ralph, um, Rolf Oman and Randy Huntington, uh, track coaches, has spoken about for track athletes, doing too many high hurdle hops could be um, detrimental because of that ground, con extended ground contact piece. And, um, you know, I found, I think that there is you know, there is negatives to things, but there is also transience. And, uh, you know, you could say, well, it'd be a negative if your whole structure adapted to doing it that way, you know, <laughs> your whole structure adapted to being on the ground longer. And I do think there is something there in terms of if you got even more internal rotation biased, you know, and your structure adapted to that a little bit, I could definitely see that. Um, but I know for me, like if I go out and I do something like, uh, like a low knee sprint, uh, this is one of my favorite elastic training methods. Um, and I do that for in a tempo type format. And I do like a single leg jump in between each longer sprint. Every jump in between my jump gets higher, 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 higher. And I feel just super springy. Like like that spring, 
the the peak of my spring that I've had, like let's say playing basketball, being more of a basketball player, that's I'm like, this is what that feels like. And so there is yeah. that transience there, I think. But again, I do think it takes some reps though. Like that's why you have to run more than it's not like, hey, do this um like sprint drill for 10 meters. It's like, no, do this for 200 meters <laughs> and do it a bunch yeah. of times and feel. And then, the, so I think, yeah, there, I think there could be a little bit of both, um, you know, depending. But I it's mean, it's interesting yeah. to me uh, in, yeah, almost, yeah, probably bringing up things I've not really considered all too much because of, yeah, like in terms of a, in a stopwatch uh, sport or a tape measure sport, you're going to be able to pass some things out that, you can't elsewhere because uh yeah like these coaches who are saying oh there's such thing as too many hurdle jumps um yeah because that person is doing whatever then but they, they can almost see that the negative consequence and then for me yeah in part four that um because it's so broad so, so many different types of ground contact so many different variety mm -hmm. of jumps single leg double leg uh kind of super slow kind of deep tier plyometric actions, snappier, much uh, more hurdle hop, traditional hurdle hop type actions off one leg, off of vertical walls, off of, yeah, all, like all manner of jumps. It's almost hard, harder to kind of maybe see see that. Um, yeah, so in terms of, yeah, those stop, I think they ultimately like the stop box sport, sports or the tape measure sports are, so much more it's, it's got to be more precise doesn't it it's got to it, it's almost i can afford to have a bit more of a shotgun approach because jumping is good and jumping helps me um in whatever manner but not all jumping is going to help not all, all not all jumps are going to be as beneficial as all other jumps for all athletes and um, some athletes are going to benefit from certain types of things more for sure i can see that Today's podcast is sponsored by the Plyomat. The Plyomat is a jump testing device that allows you to instantly receive ground contact times, jump heights, reactive strength measurements, and more in your training populations. It's easy to use, accurate, and affordable. And an awesome feature that I love about the Plyomat is it easily allows the connection of not just one mat, but you can string multiple mats together for use in things like multi-hurdle hops and bounding situations. I absolutely love the Plyomat, recommend it. And to check it out, you can head to plyomat.net. That's P-L-Y-O-M-A-T dot net. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Team Builder Training Software. I've continued to hear amazing things about the Team Builder Training Portal. Whether you're working with athletes in-house or online, Team Builder has the training software needs you're looking for. You can check them out at teambuilder.com. That's T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it too, like you said, you do parkour and you're always doing all sorts of different jumps. And, and it makes me think about something that Angus Bradley had said. It was something to the tune of, look, like, like if all you do is heavy squats and deadlifts and bench, you're going to start moving more like a refrigerator. That doesn't mean you can't do those. Just make sure you're doing a lot of bending and twisting and picking other auxiliary exercises in your training that have you bending and twisting at the rib cage so that you can offset that. So it's to me, it's not a case of don't do it. <laughs> it's more like 
what else are you doing to help offset this in practice? I mean, and that's where for me, like those times I do think I was negatively affected. I wasn't playing like basketball outside of training and and, which is a big one. Um, Like I wasn't doing a lot of like short sprints and racing people, which is a faster contact time. It would be like most of my training or at least a lot of it was weightlifting and then plyometrics that were like the only measure of success was how high is the hurdle. Well, for me to get a really high jump, I'm going to internally rotate like crazy to do it because that's my bilateral preference. Um, And then, you know, I look at when I was, I want to actually dig in and unpack the single leg piece. I know I talked about that with Brady Vollmering. Um, I've been using that more. I've actually been programming it a little bit more since then. Um, just because I, I was really, you know, the drop legs, like doing that warm up that was the juice, you know, the ISOs and the drop legs. Okay, this is good. Stick with this. This is in the program. And then I've been, I've been uh, playing around with and exploring putting more single leg stuff in for people. And so far, it's been really good. And I love the single leg because um, it was like Ebony Rio said she was a tendon researcher I had on a long time yeah. ago. Bilateral stuff, you can hide stuff. You know, you can you have more wiggling room. <laughs> Single leg, there is way less wiggling and hiding. Like you, if you have a weak link, it is instantly exposed. And, you know, Brady up on like the six foot drop. I mean, even for me, it's interesting in, in bringing it back into my own training. I'm like, wow, this, like I can so easily see such a direct correlation in getting to a higher single leg drop and all the mechanical structural strength pieces your leg needs to be, have to be explosive in sport. So um, I was going to uh, ask you a little bit more about your uh, single leg drops as well. How, you know, how high you got, how big of a part you felt like that played in the whole role and, and everything there. I would say minimal because Interesting. I was rubbish at them. <laughs> like I had a really hard time with them and i was shot like so uh brady's six foot one um i don't know if you know he's been he's done some podcasts and stuff uh and you he's very uh kind of track and field style parkour guy callum powell and um, yeah i was speaking to him and yeah he's an incredible jumper far 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 higher level athlete than I am or yeah, like triple jump. Yeah, like that guy could triple jump incredibly if he went out and did it and track. Yeah, he would be it. awesome. Um, he's always had a very jumpy style of parkour as well. Um, and yeah, when I shared uh, Brody's six foot one, uh, he he uh, he he did he beat it. Callum deliberately went and beat it because I was like, <laughs> "Oh, good luck." I don't, but it's like Callum can. Is a real, real good jumper. I'm be- better than me, but I didn't think it was that much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> but like on that one leg, what he's capable of was it's just yeah, like in, in, it's so like just level. It's like okay, that that's some, that's interesting to me because um yeah, the the level that he's been at for so long, um, it was interesting to see it be reflected in something like a single leg. Uh, altitude drop because yeah he stuck it from he went just over six foot i think um and uh yeah so it's almost like does the altitude drop to one like does it um reflect the the jumping capacity of an individual that much because yeah he's probably that much better than the at parkour (laughs) how much better he is um at the single leg drop yeah 
similar in the level of our sport as well like i'd say i'm i'm, I'm intermediate or high intermediate perhaps i don't know I, i'm i've trained very broadly i've never specialized in things so yeah could i be better at certain things yeah maybe i could do some hard things though then whereas callum is an advanced athlete has been advanced for a long long time and like when i was like oh i think you'll struggle more than you think he didn't believe me for a second he was like, oh no i know it's fine and he could just do it and he's never trained them yeah. and i was like oh that's interesting yeah it it does make me think that really single leg is in terms of like athleticism, sprinting, jumping off on leg, triple jump, long jump, like maybe single leg is a little bit more of a thing with that. I, and I know, I, I also, I remember the, my best year in track, college track and high jumping and triple jump, triple jump by a lot. Um, I was doing a lot of just single leg hurdle hops, um, like pretty, not, not drops, but I mean, within each one is basically almost yeah. a drop. I mean, there's not that many degrees of difference, to be honest. Um, and in way, and for me, it was actually more very motivating. Tough, very tough to get over hurdles and still attack the ground. Like, I, I, I think it's a definite weakness for me. Like, I, um, yeah, you talk about, I, I've tried some hurdle hops and I think it's about single leg. It's, tough <laughs> struggle yeah do you think um you know just curious do you think that that um is anything to do with your background or more maybe your build like you strike me as someone who's more the strength the bilateral strength type athlete more so than like a, a obviously a lanky jumper like a track jumper or something yeah exactly like I, i'm five foot five i'm pretty built for my size just through not through aiming to be just from training through like yeah, the I do other gymnastic strength based training and things like that. Um, just generally training to be stronger is something that I've enjoyed. Um, so yeah, kind of my my frame is not that of an elite jumper, that's for sure. Um, something that I do find with the single leg drops. I, so if my eccentric rate of force was faster, like it, like if I could, so. I've got, I don't have great ankle mobility and with the single leg drops, it felt like I ran out of ankle mobility before yeah. I could decelerate. That makes sense. Um, so like, yeah, I couldn't go into a, no I, obviously you're aiming to land relatively stiff, but I felt like I couldn't even, I couldn't attenuate the force enough in the time that I had available um, in my joint angles type of thing, like well, how much I could flex, um, which might be just be an excuse but that's what it felt uh, like uh, <laughs> um, it, it felt uh yeah i just couldn't so yeah if my if i could produce more force quickly to decelerate then i'd be okay but i couldn't so I, it was yeah greatly reduced compared to my higher drops yeah that makes sense why it might have been easier for you to just bounce or it felt easier to bounce out of a eight foot high drop because like if your ankles are running out of dorsal or natural dorsiflexion range early it does make it a lot harder to stick that landing because now you can't use the ankle as much you got to like bend over more at the hips or something it just and then single leg just compounds it you don't have as much um other places to work that uh with the single leg as well yeah, again, can't hide, like you say. Like I've been, I've been real said, you can't you can't really you can't hide on one leg. It really highlights, um, yeah, any issues that you have. Yeah, 
Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, the strength impact. So you, you said you had done like a like a more of a strength cycle prior deadlifting, try to get triple body weight. Um, when you were doing all these drops and working up, were you how much was lifting a part of your program then? And then and the aftermath of that, how did you notice um, strength, like just weight room strength? Um, I've heard other people talk about quite. So I didn't get any weaker. It it didn't drop off. I didn't I didn't experience any uh, notable strength gains, say in my squat or anything. My squat sits just just below two and a half times body weight. So that's another factor in the ability to take the drops. Maybe as more of a strength base. Uh, yeah, if you can only squat one time your body weight, are the drops going to be as effective? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I didn't. And then maybe someone who can only squat one times their body weight, uh, maybe they get a strength increase in their squat from doing the drops because there's more room to, for crossover there. But yeah, I, I, I was, I can't really remember. Well, I was using, so I actually, that, that's what, at least one day a week, I was using a flywheel to squat and I was purposefully doing like eccentric overload as well like methods that would eccentrically overload that first quarter or half. So kind of a, a, a full range squat into a, a half squat, full range squat into a half squat um, to eccentrically overload. Like, yeah, try and develop my eccentric capacity in that range. Um, and I think, yeah, I, was, I mean, I was squatting normally another time, another day. Yeah, and... So I didn't, I didn't get weaker and I didn't get stronger. It seemed relatively unaffected for me, um, which makes sense because there's less emphasis on the squats, but um, yeah, no, no detriment either. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious just because I know, um, I think this was documented with javelin trainers in some of the Soviet literature is like doing a depth jump phase. Um, you know, I think their box heights were kind of in the tip, typical prescription range like between probably 70 and 100 centimeters yeah. three and four feet or somewhere in there and um maybe not four feet but around three and after doing a block of that for maybe a month or six weeks or whatever it was and not lifting they tested their lift after and found it had increased but i also look at like well you are very strong before if you were almost at or at three times body weight deadlift you almost only had anywhere to go but down from that <laughs> and, it, and it didn't go backwards that that's kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah if i if i had less of a strength phase like yeah we don't know it so yeah the term experiment is very loose because i wasn't controlling a lot of things but it's just like what i do know is there was no detriment to to my body or to my strength but there was no increase in my strength but there was an increase in my jumping um so it's kind of i will routinely bring them back probably like i yeah like uh, i'd probably do it in a winter period where i'm training less parkour so i can handle uh, yeah. less jumping overall and then build off of that it seems like that would be effective for me at least um I love the the winter period of training i christian Thibodeau, ever since he mentioned that on the podcast um maybe about a year ago or so he had mentioned that like having a seasonality to things i think that's just something that's so cool about parkour 
versus let's say a sport that's maybe like an indoor sport like like basketball or something like people play basketball year round now <laughs> it's like well, there's no seasonality i mean i you know i it used to be you just maybe just play pickup games outside in the park in the summer or something there was at least season, there was three on three and it was different there's seasonality to it and ever since that podcast i've always been thinking of ways to tweak training per the season and it's been amazing it's been a really profound part of what i do so that's really cool that you um that that's like hey in the summer like it's the sun's out let's get outside let's do let's just do the thing and then you're saving that stimulus for all right it's the winter maybe it's more associated with strength or like you know you're building strength to express and it's seasonal versus you know you could like you know vertical integration you always have something of everything in which i think is fine but i also think there's something special especially with longevity to like looking forward to the next season of things of training whatever yeah that is. and for me is is definitely i like to train thing yeah the vertical integration style uh things train things concurrently but within that things do fall by the wayside and i pick up other things i kind of go where where i'm gonna find enjoyment type of thing um so in the summer i'm going to be doing more parkour in the winter it's going to be less because the weather is rubbish and it's kind of in force if i'm going to be in the gym more and yeah i don't have these parkour related goals as much because it's much more about maintenance in the winter it's hard to get good sessions in where i am um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna like pick a random movement to get stronger on and see where it goes that's that's something i've always naturally done like like whether it's nordic curls whether it's ab wheel rollouts whether it's like something more skilled like a one-arm chin-up i go with that so like it, it's almost not necessarily seasonal but it matches with the seasons because i'll like I, I get bored of this so i'll go and do something else and ultimately being stronger i, I i've in parkour i've never experienced a negative like it, it doesn't yeah i don't see yeah potentially in another sport doing yeah doing some powerlifting or doing some whatever could make you slower or what something like that but i don't yeah i've never experienced that and, and then but that's the thing i still in my parkour training it will be less frequent it will be less uh develop developmental type of thing i won't be hitting these new hard things for me but i get massive variety within them so if in the gym it kind of narrows down a little bit and then i train parkour that's getting my variety of movement moving such a broad manner of ways in parkour that i don't need to worry about it so it's easy to go where wherever i feel and kind of just if i'm trying to like level up the organism in some way that checks a box for me and I, I'm, I'm getting better because of that yeah what um so in the summer so speaking of parkour season uh what do you um so when you are out and, and doing more dynamic work in your environment something i was thinking about and i i started thinking about this a lot when i actually went to return to the source with uh, rafe kelly was precision landings i had never <laughs> until then i did not know what a precision landing was <laughs> and which is basically landing with your feet close together and the knees go outwards in the landing and you go into a little bit of a squat 
And uh, although some people are going like a full squat, and I, I found that was so interesting. And, and you know, please feel free to expand on this um, or interject if needed. But what I found so interesting is I was thinking about Rafe's anecdote of when he trained more formally for um, vertical jump training in his early twenties, doing like you know the official sets and reps and and the official more official sets and reps of plyometrics and those things, and everything was a little more canned and close. And he said that he had gotten a, like basically the same, maybe even better results just doing parkour training in his 30s and in terms of dunking ability. Um, and I was thinking about uh, when I was there, it's like you would do like, let's say, a running triple jump series off of rocks or logs and finish with a precision. And I'm like, all right, you're basically finishing with a running long jump into a squat, which is kind of the same forces as a drop, like a big drop. It's just horizontal. And then you're you're squatting the landing, so you're kind of getting this dynamic squat strength little finisher <laughs> on the end. I was like, this is so cool because you're getting dynamic plyos, jump. Now you get a basically get a bonus squat here, so you're kind of getting it all wrapped up into one piece that is play and not even necessarily formal training. And and honestly, I and feel like, yeah, thing, engagement. Good. You've yeah. got a task that's very engaging. So, like you said, you've got the, the single leg takeoffs. They're going to be much stiffer overcoming takeoffs the, the landing at the end and much more yielding landing um yeah so within one task you're getting like the stimulus from multiple directions and it's fun so you're not even thinking about what training stimulus it is so you're probably going to do a little bit more i heard you talk i can't remember maybe with jake tour actually um how taking off such unique it's all every single rep's going to be more different than so every rep's going to be different anyway, even if you're doing bounds on the ground, it's going to be somewhat different. But if you're taking off non-flat surfaces, one rep, your foot's going to be more uh, everted, one foot rep's going to be more inverted, and the rotation through the body, that that's going to create. So does that allow you to do a little bit more it, alongside that fun? Like if you're having fun and then you don't get the overuse because it's different enough, and that could be, I think that's a massive part of because you're engaged and you can do a lot of it because it's fun and because you're yeah. not just pounding against concrete or a track or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. It's like basketball or even like some of the, like, it's so interesting to start looking for those, you could call them combo movements, things where you're getting multiple ends of the plyometric and athletic spectrum, like basketball, even like you get an athlete goes up to dunk and then jumps and kind of lands on one leg, maybe, maybe kind of relatively stiff-legged one leg landing, kind of turning at the same time. You see it in volleyball a lot. I started noticing it. Um, there was, a, I remember there was a, when I was at Cal, there was a volleyball coach who was a really high jumper. He'd jump on the vertex and touch like almost 12 feet. And he would come down twisting sideways on one leg. I'm like, this guy's getting <laughs> the two leg jump and he's getting a single leg landing all in one shot. That's awesome. And um you know, I was even thinking about this the other day because I spending time in track and field. Uh, you watch athletes doing their runouts before like the 100 meter dash. They come out of the blocks, they sprint hard for 20, 30, maybe 40 meters, and then they cool it down. But when they decelerate, they tend to do this like bouncy deceleration where like, I, yeah. it's, it's hard to describe, but it's like, it's almost like you have the power output on the acceleration end. And then as they're bouncing to decelerate, they're getting elasticity. And it's like, you wouldn't see that off the outset, but like, that's this thing that defines, um, like just how athletes, uh, and especially athletes who have that sense of movement and power and elasticity, it's all wrapped into one. 
I just think those are really cool things because in a world where we will segment all those skills, well, this is for this, this is for this, this is for this, you know, and um, yeah, so that's just something I think about a lot because I think when we can wrap those things into a, a variable package, it's, it's fun, it's task-oriented, we aren't even thinking necessarily about training something, but it's getting trained too, you know, and it's, it's a nice training package. Yeah, that, that's, ma- that's massive with the parkour side of things because most people in parkour know nothing about training, yet they get better with, with guidance or without guidance. They, it, it's almost, yeah, parkour can be kind of simplified to you, you're trying to challenge yourself with different movement challenges. Um, that can be extremely broad or some people will train quite narrow and do the same type of challenges. But you do some challenges until you're bored and done for the day and you go home and then you come back the next day, you do it again Mm. and you come back two weeks later, you do a little bit more. Uh, And without knowing anything about training, the, the engagement in the process of like wanting to complete this task, what it like just kind of it's it's not yeah no one wants to do the their 10 barbell back squats like as a task they know it will lead to somewhere Mm. but there's nothing really inherently enjoyable or or kind of drawing you in to doing those squats it's more like oh what the outcomes down the line that that motivate people there in parkour it's very much the actual task And, and sometimes nothing can grab your attention all day maybe you're feeling a bit tired you're just not not feeling amazing body's not great or or whatever and you do a bit of training training that look lot looks a lot more like traditional gym training maybe you do a few sets of this jump and a few sets of that jump and you kind of sit down you, you're not really feeling it and you can go all day like that you, you've written off the day like oh this is a rubbish day and then what often happens is even if I was hungry or needed the toilet or both at the same time, and I've had a rubbish day, I find this has been a waste of time today. We then stumble across something that authentically grabs your attention, and there's just a spark. And the hunger, the need to go to the toilet, the bad rest of the day disappears, and you're engaged. When you authentic, like, kind of, yeah, genuinely are grabbed by something. But like I could be having a terrible training session where I don't feel powerful. But some of the best stuff I've ever done has came out came in those sessions because for whatever reason that challenge grabbed my attention and you just kind of everything else goes away and you're like on this task it's like okay i want to do this and maybe it's one of these battles where you you start trying it and it's not going well and then you you keep going do more and you're getting closer and you're like oh i can't quit now you've probably in the most sensible way you probably should call it quits because you've done a, a a lot, you've taken a lot of impact there or you, you've um yeah you kind of gone past what the sensible volume for that thing is but it's because it's not about that training effect you're like okay i'm going to carry on you do three more people would say there's diminishing returns but then you do three more and it's like okay I, i've got this now and at that point you're like i'm 100 getting this like 10 reps ago 10 attempts ago wasn't on the cards now i've stuck with it i'm fully warm i'm fully switched on and you pull it out back kind of in a way that you would not you'd never expect um i guess it's similar to when you rock up to the gym to train and you're not feeling it you do your warm-up sets you get moving and people pr on those days 
Um, but I think there's another layer with that, yeah, that spark that comes with this outside task that for whatever reason, I can't really explain why I'm drawn to and, and want to do and want to complete uh, purely for the fact of completing the challenge, not for any other reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's something that's really such a cool facet of parkour or the spirit of parkour as a universal training piece. Um, I was having a conversation with Jared Burton recently who was on this podcast a while ago. Um, he was talking about the idea of, um, I believe it was play, explore, and outputs. And so often we look at training only from outputs. Like that's the only thing. It sets, reps, technique, you know, percentages or whatever. And in reality, in life, <laughs> it's it's more complex than that. There's these, there's it, there's this swirling, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word, swirling's a good one. Uh, this swirling interaction of play, of exploration, and then that can lead to outputs on days you aren't feeling it if you warmed up with a game all of a sudden you might be jumping higher than you thought you would why is that you know versus if you just came in it's like all right i'm going to go through this scripted warm-up and it's all very um you could say robotic it's just very scripted versus it's almost like as soon as something is not scripted as soon as there is a level of play of exploration it kind of brings online a different part of the system and that's not to say it's going to turn every bad day into a great day but you know, like one of the one of the things it stands that, a better chance than yes, a yes, traditional absolutely. dynamic warm up. Though there's much, yeah, uh, much higher chances of it being turned around. And it's like, yeah, what is that? There's not there's not a measure for that. You can't measure that thing, but we know it exists. It is it it is real, but yeah, you can't you can't get your athletes to come in and measure that thing and then decide how your day is going to go. But um, yeah, that, that is fascinating to me because it. what is that? You, you can't even really attach a word. I was struggling earlier to attach a word to this. Yeah, this excitement. You, you didn't choose to be excited about this thing. It's just come over you. And because yeah. and you're now excited, all the problems of, aren't problems now and you can perform. Yeah, it is hard to describe. It's like trying to describe how do I feel after playing a game of pickup basketball or two where I'm going to be able to jump way higher than if i just ran through a scripted dynamic warm-up it's the the main way to describe is just kind of like the general energy the kind of the the vibe for lack of a better word that i feel there's something about how i feel in this state that is different fundamentally you know there's there's other people around i'm playing with there's a spirit of competition but also fun and and the variable movement like you mentioned so you know i think there's a lot to that um i do want to go into maybe i don't know if the gear shift um you mentioned the variability that comes with parkour and you talked about your plyometrics. You talked about doing like a crescendo hurdle hops or a variable hurdle hops. It's funny because you mentioned the plyo of the week thing I used to do. I was like, blast from the past. I, you know, back, uh, I don't know how long ago I did that, but that was fun putting those together. But, you know, I was going to ask you a little bit. Great about- resource for people. I'm glad it's still there. Like it, it, you can always refer back. It's on the internet. So might be a long time ago that you did it but it's very helpful still yeah they were they were fun it was fun to put those together and uh um what was it? i was i was just thinking you you mentioned plyme- um parkour and the variable surfaces and yeah i talk about the creek running all the time i would just run on rocks in the creek as a therapeutic lower leg stimulus you know for myself i remember when i was at return of the source um which was in washington state there was uh, different groups of people there doing like when we go out and do parkour at the parks or, you know, a lot of like big rocks and all these things. And there was like, you know, the advanced parkour athletes, the intermediate group. And then there was a group that was like less experienced. And I remember 
some people were amazing. And then there were some people who hadn't done a lot of parkour. And I was watching a few of them. They do like a jump and I'd see a landing and I'd be like, oh, like, you know, someone who hadn't just been training it. And if you saw that landing in a more um, like, like a repetitive situation, like if they just did that in the gym off a box and landed that way over and over again, yes, they are going to get hurt. <laughs> but that, you know, that person who landed like that and probably landed like that several other times throughout the day was not hurt because it's, it's just going to be variable. It's just breaking up the way the stimulus is applied repeatedly and it allows you, like you said, along the lines of Jake you know, the Jake Tura podcast with the variability in the tenant, it allows you to accumulate reps. And um, so just that being said, I'm, I'm curious what your approach to more typical plyometric prescriptions might be. I, I know you, you're working with figure skaters. Um, you have general mm-hmm. population clients. Um, when it comes time, you know, you can't just take those athletes out and be like, all right, we're going to go out to the street and do, do parkour. Um, and obviously that wouldn't be the best idea in all, you know, a, a lot of situations, although it'd be certainly fun at some point in the year in the off season, perhaps. Um, but when it comes time for more prescriptive plyometrics, how do you frame that in the gym uh, based off your parkour experience? So something that I, I think I picked up more from Will Rattel than anyone else is I do quite often set a time frame and it's more open in that time frame. And what ends up happening, people accumulate roughly the traditional kind of guidelines of, of jumps type of thing. They don't end up with ridiculous volumes or anything. Um, obviously, it depends where you look, but there's the, the different kind of uh, volume guidelines that are out there and yeah so i've seen will say oh go until bored or go until disinterested or or uh, 10 minutes on the timer rest as much as you need and kind of um accumulate some some jump in here and honestly that is kind of my go-to in terms of uh yeah, because because I'm with the people that I'm working. So it's, I'm with the figure skaters that I'm primarily working with. It's kind of youth figure skaters, and we're trying to. It's more more about their general athleticism. So I'm I'm challenging them in different ways, and kind of kind of want lots of variety and lots of different stimulus. So with with the jump inside of things, it's a segment of what we do, and yeah, and expose them to a bunch of different things. So kind of in this time frame, if we can. So, I, yeah, honestly, I can't. I don't know if I can necessarily put a number on it because, like I say, mm-hmm. sometimes majority of the time now, I've kind of tracked it a little bit, and it's kind of works out in in very typical um, volumes, like kind of yeah, something that's not ridiculous, something that's not nothing, and yeah, I can't actually really put a number on that right now. Yeah, I can't. I can't think. Yeah, yeah. that's um, a, that's okay. But, uh, it, it's kind of. Uh, yeah, that I find that an enjoyable way because of that normal prescription of three sets of five box jumps or whatever it is. It's quite generic and boring. It doesn't encourage the kind of yeah, that's very much like the dynamic warm up. That is a bit like yeah, we're going through the motions. We're not engaged as much. Um, so yeah, just having that time window to accumulate some jumps in is something that i've i feel like i've had success with i feel like yeah i see the difference um with the people i'm working with for sure over time because it's 
consistent exposure to that. Yeah, I could see that being, yeah, like um, the, the parkour type framing is it makes it more task oriented rather than, um, you know, if you yeah. have the spectrum between full training, which is sets, reps, percentages, everything. And then on the other end, it's just pure play. You know, it's kind of, it's taking that meter or that needle just a slightly away from pure training and that now there's a little bit more exploration on the table and how long you can choose to rest or things like because that. Because in the same session, we might do some ISOs and that's very close. That just feels like training. Yeah, it can be a little bit of competition yeah. in there for sure, but it's, oh, you're holding it for 30 seconds a minute as long as you can, whatever it may be. That, that, yeah, there's not much wiggle room there. I want you to hold this position and go for this long. Um, so kind of, yeah, when there's, when I've had positive, the, the looseness with the jumps is something that I, I've experienced positive with myself. I used to do the, the five sets of five, the three sets of 10 or what, whatever it is um, of jumping and didn't really ever notice or the, the no like these days I can notice much greater or, or since I started training in the way I, that I do rotating through the jump variations, I've noticed such greater uh, improvement. Like, yeah, I see it more in my sport. I think it's more to do with just the adaptability of what I'm throwing at myself more than, and like if I'm, if I'm jumping or yeah, if, the if, if we're doing jumps, great. And then if you're becoming more adaptable through their jumps, even better in my in my eyes type of thing because um the the skill skill yeah the skills of the skill they're gonna be say with the youth figure skills they're gonna be on the ice they're gonna be practicing their jumps and they're gonna be doing quite a lot um so I don't want things that look like that um I want everything else so that yeah they they like they know they're more adaptable for when they fall because they will fall for example or um yeah like if they if they end up jumping higher probably going to be helpful um but yeah I, I i see it as very very general um because they're so specialized um i rather just give them what they don't get as athletes on the ice that is the kind of the main aim with with those guys that i'm working with yeah it gives an interesting frame to the purpose of training as adaptability and it's like well what does it mean what are things that can make training a little more adaptable if absolutely every single thing in the training session is 100 percent scripted how much room you know there might be some room to experiment a little bit within each script with each set and rep and things like that but you know it is it, it does get my wheels turning on those little interjections to make to give a level of autonomy to an athlete to problem solve um, would you say that, um, like, like what in your mind would be plyometrics that might be better? Do you, do you have in your mind plyometrics or jumping tasks that might be better from a time versus a sets reps perspective? Like just off, you know, the top of my head, I, I kind of feel like things that have more complexity to them that are a little bit more like, uh, like if you were doing like 360 jumps over a hurdle, like a running 360 over a hurdle and, or something that's just a little harder. It seems like that would be something that'd be more make more sense to give a time frame to. Hey, do this for fifteen minutes or something or or whatever, versus things like hey, we're going to do depth landings or I don't no. know. Like I, I'm just curious what your frame is on on the things you might be more prescriptive with or just expanding yeah, on that so a little bit. I, where I, where I'm actually a little bit more 
prescriptive with myself and like if i'm doing like i kind of probably broadly separate my jumps into or jumping into like the, the multi-effort true plyometrics from the jumping i probably am a bit more prescriptive in the jumping because there's less creative like so single effort multi-effort versus single effort um yeah if we just want some like higher effort concentric output um where i feel like there's maybe less so something with, with like the hurdles variations I, i've really really enjoyed using those and it's not for the ground contact times and and the elasticity or it, it's for again another very hard to measure thing and it's like the coordination there isn't mm. some we can't measure and that the coordination the relaxation the timing um yeah but they're not in there that's not that's such a big feature to the different so i had the, the hurdle variations that are quite similar but different enough i get different heights and like you'd think they'd probably be the same height for example a crescendo where each one's going higher i don't i end up at a lower height than if i do a low a high a low a high it ends up different and it almost doesn't feel like it should because it's not vastly uh uh yeah it doesn't vary all that much but it's like the relaxation the coordination or it's almost all these extra things i'm not really even caring about the the jumps there because they almost take care of themselves you're not going to get over if you don't rebound one off the floor but then so in the things that don't have that so yeah more just single jumping I would say I'd be more prescriptive because there's less to explore. I feel like, like that that relaxation, that time in the like I'll often like shake shake my hands or, or kind of vibrate before doing hurdle hops just because it feels right. It feels like oh yeah, I'm going to get it, and I have to know on the first jump if it's going to be the one where I get over. E even just by feel, I don't know what I'm feeling, but it's that that coordination and it's. Yeah, like you say, it's a bit more complex, but that, that's where I see the complexity in, in those. Like that, whatever that is, again, it's hard to measure, but I've just, but yeah, I've seen that take place um, and people benefit from it, benefit from it and myself benefit from it. Um, so I'd like to keep that open, to tap into those. People start figuring stuff out they didn't figure out before. You're not going to figure out much on just a box jump. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What's the yeah, learning on a box jump? <laughs> How much learning can take place here? Probably yeah. not a lot. So that's where I'd be more prescriptive, like a, a, a single effort jump, um, which obviously have value, but it's different. It's, yeah, it's, it's different enough. Yeah, it's um I think it's really cool to make that. And and it's funny, I, I almost um I couldn't expect anything uh, less with a parkour athlete to have <laughs> different waveforms of of hurdle hopping and you know, it, it is kind of funny to think, you know, back in my track days, it was just, hey, line eight hurdle, hurdles up, do, oh, they're all the same height, do the same, you know, th and it's all, at that point, it is basically all almost, there is coordination, but it's more about the tissues. But I found actually, in yeah. hindsight, it's like, there's these little subtle changes you make to your training year to year, and then it just adds up to be a, be a big thing. But my knees got wrecked doing that kind of thing where everything was the same, you know, same, same waveform over and over again versus nowadays, it's like if you're, you're interspersing, you know, high, low, high, low, high, long, like 
and you're letting the body work in a little bit different manner uh, very, you know, from that variability perspective. There is something that's also there with, I think, just how the body's meant to move in general. And I think it's, um, it's also, and it's also too, like you look at the session and just helping athletes learn different waveforms of how they move and how did that feel versus the other thinking about it. I think that's, that's really a good thing, um, you know, to have in, you in the see the improvement as well. You, you change it up and people fall apart and it's like, oh, they need to make an adjustment. They need to kind of take that information in, their body processes it. And then uh, after a couple of goes or whatever, they're, they're back jumping really well. Um, and yeah, in that processing of the, the data they've got from trying something, not doing it quite as well, and I can't measure that, but I, I, like, that's where I feel like a lot of the positives come from. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like um, uh, in the book, it's an old book, it's like 1990, The Science of Sports Training by Thomas Kurz. Um, Dan John yeah. mentioned it in Easy Strength. It was like the long jumpers. There was long jumpers that their every jump was max in practice and training. And then there was a group that every jump was like, you know, to a target. And it might not be max. It might be, you know, a foot or two mm -hmm. short of your best. And the group that had the diverse amount of jumps actually ended up jumping further in the end. And I I think, you know, I feel like there's opportunities for that within every training session, not even at the tail end. Like you could warm up if you were doing hurdle hops and maybe you wanted to end up more traditional, you know, like six hurdles and all the same and they're all high. But what if you warmed up with different heights and different, you know, you warmed up with a few crescendos or a few high lows and, you know, and you did and that. And there's plenty of people who applied yeah. that principle to other areas yeah. of gym work. Like, <laughs> I don't even bench press, but I think in Louis Simmons and the bench press, he would on the dynamic days, get them to change the hand position every rep. Yeah, yeah. Um, like people have applied that principle. You just mentioned it being applied in track and field. Um, I think it kind of naturally happens more in parkour. Um, and then, but like, yeah, when it pops up numerous places from people who don't know each other, it's, that's always interesting. Yeah, that, hey, that, that cross-pollination, that intersection of ideas is awesome. I love that you brought up the Louis uh, Simmons reference. So just to close it out, um, is there anything, you know, you had the, the high jumping experiment, the high drop experiment. Is there anything new on the horizon that you're thinking of, considering, or wheels are turning on for your own training? Um, well, I, wore, I bought some eccentric hooks and I was going to start doing that. And well, I started exploring some options there, but I've just recently hurt my foot like last week. So that's put a... Uh, stop to that for the time being um but um one one thing that uh did spring to mind um because i listened to your podcast with jake Tura the other day i know it's a few weeks old um and you've mentioned uh oh, i forgot his name dak uh what's his name oh, again? brady brady yeah um, and uh his impulse training. I've experimented with that. So the, the impulse straps. Uh, and I had a very positive experience from resolving some patella tendinopathy. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Using that. And when Jake Turo spoke about uh, I'll train in the bone end of the tendon, I was like, yeah, that's what that, that's what that felt like that was doing for me. So I actually developed tendinopathy in both knees from direct, a direct blow to both knees on a particular parkour movement. So it's an arm jumper cat leap where you land with your feet on the wall, you tend to slide down a little bit and hold on, and then you climb up. I, I 
one week did a, a pretty big one of them um slid bang my knee and it was the tendon wasn't right it was like it was direct blows to the tendons two weeks i was carried on training and it was like pissed off it wasn't great i did the same movement somewhere else and managed to do the same thing to my other knee banged it direct blow and both my tendons started to play up um the, like immediately after direct blow um i trained for a year kind of doing all the stuff that you should the, the isometrics with the heavy slow loading um i, I could train as normal like i could always get warm and my tendons feel okay and I, i'm not too concerned not too worried i've got the, the background to kind of yeah manage that problem but i was getting increasingly more bored with having to i lost my ability to just go without warming up or anything i always had to really thoroughly warm up just the tendon to get it going so i went oh screw it. i'm going to try something more extreme and i think i would quickly know if this is bad and, and not working and I'll, i can cut it but if it feels good I'll, I'll do it so i started doing the the basically ballistic knee extension against the strap um where that there's that collision each time and within two weeks of doing that like twice a week my knee pain dropped to it dropped 90 percent. like it was basically better within a couple of weeks after having it for a solid year in both knees um and then uh i progressed to the the ones that he does on the reverse hyper so you've got the swing and pendulum that you're then colliding against on the strap and yeah, I've not had any knee issues since. So those dro those drop jumps that I was doing actually, well, altitude drops came after shortly after I resolved my knee issues. So I, I got no negative consequence to the drops, even though it was off the back of persistent tendon issues. Hmm. And yeah, I brought that up just because of the the Jake Turris talking about oh maybe we can train the bone under the tendon, and I actually messaged him to say yeah that's what my experience was and it felt like i got no pain during them and they're really quite aggressive and the whole kind of point is that they're quite aggressive uh, and it, they never hurt my knee and like i say very 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 quickly resolved the issue entirely yeah it's interesting with the impulse i'll have to put um that in the show notes for sure associated with the podcast here so if people go to justflysports.com and the podcast yeah. page i'll try to have one of brady's um impulse exercises there it kind of reminds me too of um, like David Gray had talked about just doing like a bunch of heel, like just quick heel taps, like quick heel yeah. impulses for Achilles tendon type stuff. And I've found that to be beneficial as well. Um, and so it is, it's interesting just there's something about that repetitive, um, you, you have isometrics, but it's almost like anything that's like on a timer, like maybe where it is not variable anymore, but it's like, you know, and the, so I feel like part of it was maybe an, an, an inhibitory effect as well you go through quite a bit of fatigue and then keep going because it's kind of self-regulating you'll just start extending your knee less forcefully as you fatigue generally you'll yeah. relatively high reps so i feel like there's something of that but then i do think there's something in yeah thinking about traditional martial arts and striking hard objects to strengthen the bone it's not something i've ever thought about really but obviously it's a quite a traditional martial arts perspective yeah. And that feels the same because there's just this hard collision. Um, yeah, it didn't hurt the knee yet. 
like you, you didn't feel the tendon you just felt the, the quad which is again so that's maybe not saying like train the tendon end of the muscle uh at the bone end of the tendon rather and more the muscle but for whatever reason when uh jake said that i was like that is what i describe i experienced interesting um, impulse impulse training bones and tendons uh, that's a good association to make uh yeah. It's, it's cool because you see that stuff and you'd be like, oh, what is going on here? I think there's, it's always cool when you think more about the adaptations happening. So, um, and, and honestly, with that stuff, it's, it's like you don't get it until you try it. You try it and it's like, oh, I see the value here. And obviously, it looks pretty crazy. Yeah. But I, I've also did that quite extensively for upper body and saw some really interesting results in vaulting movements. I became objectively far more powerful and more reactive through the upper body from doing them. Uh, which was very cool to experience. Awesome. That's cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't have any setups like that that Brady has, but I'm, I'm going to have to start thinking yeah. about how to do it here. So <laughs> that's good stuff. Well, hey, um, thank you so much, Chris. It was great talking to you. I really enjoy your perspective. Uh, it's it's really cool to get outside of the typical, I guess you could say, um, um, uh, training boxes uh, for, I'm not really sure what the phrase is, but, you know, parkour being well outside of the typical um, yeah. sports strength and conditioning training box so it was great uh hearing your perspective on those things and uh yeah thanks for your time on the show thanks for having me on uh pleasure to speak to you man uh probably just go for a long time so it's kind of cool to get to chat thanks for tuning in to another episode i appreciate you being here and we'll see you next week